American soccer fans, welcome to episode 66 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Donald Wine here, manager of Stars and Stripes FC, your source for all things U.S. national teams, the players that comprise them, and everything else surrounding the game of soccer in America. We are back from the November international window. We have a lot to update on. We had two big games, one at home, one on the road for the U.S. men's national teams. So we are going to recap those two games on this episode 66. Of course, we want to start with the United States men's national team. When we talked about it on the last episode, we described what would be needed to put themselves in a position to qualify for the World Cup earlier rather than later. And having four points is, again, a solid window. We haven't had a great window but we've had three solid windows for the U.S. men's national team. They currently sit in second place in the standings. We will talk about the standings a little bit later. But I want to get to the individual games. First, the Mexico game. Cincinnati, last Friday night, was electric. 26,000 fans at TQL Stadium. Everyone standing for the whole game for what it looks like. I was not at the game. I was watching it, and it looked like everybody was in it. It sounded uh, upon, you know, many, many reviews of of the game that the crowd was into it the entire match, which is incredible. And it became another magical moment in the state of Ohio for the USMNT as once again, Dosa Sarah was on the menu and everybody was eaten. United States 2, Mexico 0, goals by Christian Pulisic and Weston McKinney in that one. And when you're talking about Dosa Sarah, when, when this World Cup qualifying window was announced and they had announced that the Mexico game was going to be in Cincinnati, I know people in Columbus took that as a shot. Even though they got a qualifier, there's some there who believe that the Mexico game was theirs. And Friday night proved that the Mexico game is everyone's. It's ours. I mean, that stadium was 80% people from outside of Cincinnati, but they didn't care. Cincinnati was on the map, Cincinnati was the center of soccer for that night, and they embraced that challenge and that opportunity and that responsibility. And I think they put on a tremendous show for everyone who went to Cincinnati for that game. Everyone who's gone has talked about how great that city was, how great everything was around the game. Everything was inside the stadium. Of course, winning Dos Acero really helps. Um, But I want to talk about one thing in particular and related to that game. And this was something that Hats off to U.S. soccer. Hats off to the players for seeing something and making it a bulletin board opportunity. I think we all know what we're talking about. A few days before the game, Memo Ochoa is in his press conference, and he mentions something to the effect of that when the U.S. looks in the mirror, Mexico is what they see because that's who the U.S. men's national team is trying to emulate. Their whole program, he thinks, is trying to emulate Mexico because Mexico is the gold standard of CONCACAF. Well, that was a real, you know, out of the ordinary random statement and no one really heard it or picked up on it or anything like that. But you know who was listening? The U.S. men's national team players were. And a couple of them in Tim Weah and DeAndre Yedlin apparently went to the kit man and said, whatever shirt Christian Pulisic is wearing on Friday underneath his jersey, you got a right man in the mirror on it. And furthermore, this became a thing in the locker room where they said, hey, if they think that they're the program we have to go emulate. Let's go beat them. Let's go destroy them. Let's go send them a message. And naturally, they went to 
uh, Aaron Gonzalez, who is the guy who helps run the in-stadium entertainment for U.S. soccer, all the DJ and the, and, the, and the lights and all that stuff. And they told him, if we win this game, one song needs to be played throughout the whole stadium. And that's Man on the Mirror by Michael Jackson, one of my favorite songs by my favorite artist of all time. So I, for one, appreciate that part. So it's one thing to get that out of the way. It's one thing to have that as bulletin board material. And it's another thing to actually see it executed. And when Christian Pulisic scored the opening goal after shortly after coming on as a substitute, so he didn't even start the game. He takes his shirt and pulls it up to reveal the man in the mirror. And of course, a lot of people who were at the game have told me they didn't know what that was. They were on the other end. They couldn't see it. Um, those of you at home who were watching it, we couldn't see it really because they didn't have a great angle on TV. But once Twitter found it and linked it, Twitter was on fire. Uh, that was an absolute grade A banter response from our men's national team when it came to that man on the mirror thing. And now man on the mirror is one of those things where, you know, American outlaws are selling shirts. There are other people out there selling shirts that say man on the mirror on it. And that's going to be a rallying cry and a, and a major, major note in this rivalry's history moving forward. So hats off to everyone who was involved with that, because again, it's something that a lot of people didn't pick up on until after the fact, but that made it even better in my opinion to have that banter be the focus and being able to throw it back in their faces by scoring a goal and winning the game. That's great. A right there. So hats off to Christian Pulisic, DeAndre Yedlin, Tim Weah, Aaron Gonzalez, the kit man, everybody who was involved in the man in the mirror jokes uh, and all the memes that we are able to have for years to come. So that was one part of it, but the other thing was, again, Weston McKinney scores the second goal to make it Dos and that magic was back. We, we lost it in 2016. We regained it in 2021. And now four out of five of the last home qualifiers between the U.S. and Mexico, the U.S. has won Dos And there's a couple of things just in that scoreline that I need to talk about. First off, it is the first time since 1937 that a U.S. National team coach or a Mexican national team coach has won three games in one calendar year against the other side. 1937. So Greg Berhalter made some history with that win. For us, it's three games in six months with the Nations League final, the Gold Cup final, and now this home win against Mexico. Three in less than six months is incredible when you think about it, given that, again, Mexico consider themselves to be gold standard until this morning. As we record on Friday, November 19th, they were the highest ranked team in CONCACAF that honor now goes to the United States. And so it leads me to my next point. There's some people who just need to just be happy. Okay. And I'm not saying this as a Burl Halter apologist, but I support the man. And I, and I think he's the guy that can get us to the world cup because that is our goal right now. I'm not worried about Qatar 2022 because as we learned in 2018, you can't worry about something until you qualify for it. And we have not yet qualified, but I think he's the man to get us there. There are people after winning Dosacero against our arch rival who still think that Greg Berhalter should be fired, who think that these players are playing in spite of him. I need you guys to go watch the behind the crest videos, not just the one from Dosacero, but previous ones. Because it's clear that this team is fighting for this coach. 
this team is playing hard for this coach. They may not be playing well all the time. And we'll talk about that against Jamaica. But they are playing hard for this coach. Something that we could not say happened for Bruce Arena or for Jurgen Klinsmann at times. But also, people need to realize that a lot of you out there who may be a Burhalter hater wanted one man in particular to be the U.S. men's national team coach. And that coach just lost three times to the guy who's sitting in that seat. That's Tata Martino. And Tata Martino is a great coach. Don't get me wrong. He has won on every level, just about every single level, except for this rivalry, one of the best rivalries on the planet. He is 0-3 this year against the United States. The guy who many think should have been named the men's national team coach has lost three times to the guy who they don't think should be there. So I need you all to give Berhalt a little bit of credit here because he's done something, like I said, that no coach has done since 1937. That's a long time. All of us were not alive. Uh, there's probably a few of you who, are, who were born then that listen to this podcast, so thank you very much. But 1937 is a long time ago. And for one guy to finally break through and do that against Mexico is something that you have to give credit for. It's not, it's not a... That's not a subjective thing. That is objectively. You have to stop and say, Burhalter, that is a tremendous achievement. You may not like everything that he does. You may not like his tactics. You may not like his lineup selection. You may not like his roster selection. But he's still getting it done. You know why? Because the U.S. is sitting in second place in the table. And the top three go to the World Cup. So he's in a position right now where he could qualify for the World Cup. And we have to get on board and say, yes, we can, we can debate all of the lineup selections and the tactics and, and the players that he brings in. We can do that. But in the end, all these guys that are called in, all these players that are being called in, they are going to bat for this guy. They are playing hard for him. And even when they, don't, when they struggle, they are still playing hard. They are playing for him. They are playing for this team. They are playing for each other. They are playing for us. So let's pump the brakes on the Burhalter out stuff because after, after Friday, he did not earn it. He did not earn the Burhalter out jokes. He, the team did not win in spite of him. Everybody who was in Cincinnati on that squad, from the coaches staff to the regular staff to the players to the fans who were there to the fans who were watching at home, all of us were a part of that. And that includes the guy who was leading this charge, Greg Burhalter. So that's all I'll say about that. That's all I'll say about Mexico. Dos Acero, we'll come back after a quick break. We have the Jamaica game to recap, and then we will talk about where we stand in the octagon as we move forward. More after this. All right, we are back on the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. We discussed Dos Acero in Cincinnati for the men's national team. And now it is time to get to the away match in Kingston at the office against Jamaica that happened this past Tuesday night. I was down there at the game with about 50 people. And I want to talk quickly about how that transpired. Because as a lot of you know, 
about two and a half weeks ago, we were not allowed to go to this game. And that was something where a lot of people were making decisions about whether or not they want to go to Jamaica. Me and a few friends said, you know what? Whether we're able to go to this game or not, we are going to go to Jamaica. We're going to have a great time. For those of you who have never been to Jamaica, there is an episode coming out next week on World of CONCACAF podcast, my other side podcast. And we are discussing Jamaica in its entirety. So go learn about Jamaica. I promise you it is a country that you want to visit in your lifetime. It is so beautiful and so relaxing. And the vibes are always there. There's When they say no worries, they really mean it. And we experienced that. And we said, hey, we're going to live that no matter what. If we go to this game, that's icing on the cake. But we are going to be together as friends, as family, and we are going to enjoy Jamaica. And that's how it's going to be. And then two and a half weeks ago, the Jamaican Federation and the Jamaican government said there will be no fans at the U.S. game. And then five hours later, they reversed that statement and said, oh, no, just kidding. We'll let 5,000 fans in. They have to be vaccinated, but we'll let you in. So a race against time happened for the 50 of us that ended up going to this game. We had to submit multiple forms that included COVID vaccine proof. We had to take a COVID test. We had to pay for the tickets. We had to be approved to pay for the tickets first before we could actually buy them. Then we had to wait for them. Then there was a snafu with the ticketing system. Then on top of that, because of COVID restrictions and because of the national curfew that's in place, we had to get specific approval from the government of not just Jamaica, not just the United States Embassy, but both the U.S. and Jamaican federations for us to travel from Montego Bay to Kingston for the game. All of that happened in about a week. So about a week ago, we were informed that we could actually physically go to this game and that we had governmental approval to do it. So off we went. And anyone who has been to the office, it is one of the premier venues in CONCACAF. And I'm not saying that the, the aesthetics are pleasing or anything like that. It's not a, a brand new stadium, but it's the office. The history is there with not just the national team of Jamaica, but also it is a national track stadium. So all of the world-class sprinters like Usain Bolt, and Johan Blake, all of those guys is present at the office. National Stadium at Independence Park is one of my favorite venues in CONCACAF to attend, and I'm so glad that I was able to get back. It was a little bit different this time because obviously it wasn't full. Of the 5,000 fans that were allowed, only 4,100 showed up. It seemed like probably around there, uh, that number, um, everyone had to be spaced out. Again, there were multiple checks of COVID vaccine cards, of tickets, of passports, multiple checkpoints for us to get into the match. And there wasn't a lot of things there. Of course, none of the amenities in the stadium, like concessions, were open. We had to bring in everything off the street. But when people go to the office, usually the entryway to the stadium is, is just full of vendors selling jerk chicken and corn and stew and uh, meat patties and beers and you know Bob Marley drinks, everything. Pink hot dogs that look like the uh, peppermint patties that you will see at the store, trust me, they're amazing. They look like peppermint, but they're one of the best hot dogs you'll ever have. So a lot of that wasn't there. So even though we had to go through multiple checks, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't buy anything in the stadium. We had to bring it all in. There wasn't a lot out there to uh, take advantage of. So that's the only thing we were kind of robbed of was the full office experience for those people who 
were going for the first time, but luckily I had experienced it inside the stadium was a whole different story. It was hot. It was muggy. It became nice in the second half, but what you saw in the office for the most part was the result of the climate. It was hot. It was muggy. It cleared up a little bit in the second half, but that first half, it became a struggle. Now, of course, it wasn't really fully open, uh, the play on the field, but we did see a couple of great goals. Tim Weah's goal in the 11th minute, an incredible goal. Not to be outdone, though, Mikel Antonio with a banger in the 22nd minute. I, I'm sorry, any, any goalkeeper on, on the planet and any World Cup qualifier on the planet would not have stopped that goal. We were online for it. It is one of the best goals I have ever seen in person, full stop. But that's why they brought Mikel Antonio. That's why they went so hard after him to try and get him to join the Jamaican national team. And that's, as, they, as we said about Clint Mathis, that's why he's there. That's why he's on the field, to make plays like that. So after that, though, the field just became kind of a slug, you know, just a sluggish affair. No one on the field was really moving quickly for the United States men's national team. And it seemed like they were gassed, which is interesting considering that this was a two-match window and not a three-match window that we've had in September and October. This was more harkened back to the days of the Hex, where you had two games in the span of about five days, as opposed to three games in a span of eight days. So the United States was just tired out there. I mean, guys that we have been relying on this entire window uh, and really just throughout this process, like guys like Ricardo Pepe, like he, he didn't play terribly out there. He was just gassed. And I think that air really took a lot out of him so that in the second half, we had to use our subs earlier and we had to use them more efficiently. But no one who came onto the field really brought a lot to the table uh, because, again, that heat was oppressive and that humidity was even more so, which it sucks that it was on Tuesday because the rest of the week that we had been there, the rest of the week and we had been there was fantastic weather. It wasn't a lot of humidity. I mean, obviously there was some. It barely rained one night, but other than that, it was fantastic weather. That heat and humidity just kind of bogged itself up. It's almost like they were the call-in for the Jamaican national team between games because it showed up on Tuesday night, and it really made for a sluggish affair for the United States. And in the second half, Jamaica, I thought, had the United States on their back foot many, many times. There was a goal that was taken away. Honestly, I was, it was on the other end of the field, so I don't know if it was offside or a foul or, or how close it was or whether it was uh, should have been or should it not been. I'm just going to say that VAR apparently is coming back in January for the rest of the octagon. So we'll see if that goal would have fallen under that. But it was not a goal. It ends up being a 1-1 draw for the United States at the office. And honestly, I say take that point and run. Take that point and just run right back to the United States. It's fine. So. The United States are in second place. They have 15 points right now. And right now, with six games left, here's how the standings look. Canada, who beat Mexico and Costa Rica in Edmonton. We'll talk about that in just a second. Canada, they're in first place with 16 points. The United States next with 15. Mexico is ahead of Panama on goal differential. They are tied with 14 points, but Mexico has a plus four goal differential. Well, Panama is plus two. And then after the top four, there's a nice little separation. Now, Costa Rica is fifth with nine points. Jamaica has seven points. 
El Salvador has six points, and Honduras is at the bottom of the table with three points. So now we start talking about numbers, magic numbers. And for the United States, there's a magic number out there that will secure them in the top four. And that number is 13. That is the total number of points that they need to get to make it where they can be ahead of fifth place Costa Rica. That will clinch them the top four. Of course, we're not going for the top four, but we have to start there. Costa Rica has nine points. They can end with a maximum of 27 points if they win out completely. The U.S., if they win out completely, they will have way more than that. They are currently with 15 points. Add 18 to that, that's 33. They can be in the 30s when this is all said and done. So that leads to January. It is possible that one or two teams, mainly in Canada, the United States, one of those two teams could potentially book their spot in the 2022 World Cup if they run the table. Now, of course, both teams can't run the table because they play each other on January 30th. Now, again, I mentioned that Canada played Costa Rica and Mexico in this window, both games at Edmonton, both in the cold. Because of that, before that, the United States and Canada were assumed to be played at BC Place in Vancouver, home of the Whitecaps. And Canada had kind of waffled a little bit, but now they're starting to waffle even more because they have road games at El Salvador and at Honduras. And with the magic that they created in Edmonton, they're thinking maybe we can do that on the East Coast somewhere. So Hamilton has been thrown out as a possibility. Edmonton has been thrown out as a possibility. Toronto, both BMO Field and Rogers Center have both been thrown out as possibilities. Montreal, the Olympic Stadium, has been thrown out as possibility. And I say to any of those possibilities, I wish you would. I really do. I, I want to see. I, I, I will go into the cold for Canada. I am not scared of Canada. I know Canada has a little rant. One of those guys, uh, sportscasters up there, had a little rant about how they are the kings of CONCACAF now. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the trophy shelf. and I'm looking at my sweatshirt that says the back-to-back CONCACAF champs has a USA flag on it. But I digress. Canada wants to create a home field advantage by playing in the cold. I say do it. I want that to happen. I want to be a part of that atmosphere. I want to be a part of going into Canada and stealing three points for them in Hamilton, Toronto, Vancouver, Edmonton, Moncton. I don't care. Yellowknife, don't care. Wherever you want to do it. You want to play in Banff? Let's do it. But we will find out shortly where Canada is going to play that game, which in turn will hopefully let us know where the United States will play their home games against El Salvador and Honduras. So, That makes January very important. El Salvador and Honduras for the United States, the two worst teams in the the octagon right now. We get them at home. We have to win those games. Then we play the number one team in the standings on the road. And if we steal three points from them and get a little bit of help from some other games along the way, the United States could qualify for the World Cup by February 2nd. Now, we say that because that was kind of the goal, right? That was the, 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 the dream 
that we qualify before the end of January. So you don't have to worry about going to Mexico and to Costa Rica, two places where we have never won in March and trying to get a point to solidify our place in the World Cup. We have this opportunity now. It takes a little bit of help, but again, those magic numbers dwindle very, very fast. Right now, it is 13 to get into fourth place. And with the top four, Mexico has the toughest schedule left. Mind you, they have two home games that will be played behind closed doors because of their insistence on continuing to do the chant at their matches. That does not include the United States. And quite frankly, unless they schedule a friendly, they, everyone pray they will not have an opportunity to attempt that again because the next home game that they can have fans in will be that Mexico-United States game at Azteca. So they have the hardest schedule remaining of the top four. After that, it's Canada, followed by the United States and then Panama. So the United States is in prime position here to get a seven to nine point window and really solidify their place in the World Cup. And they have to do it. They have to be prepared to do it. Everyone who is injured should focus on getting healthy. It's about to approach winter. And the guys that play in Major League Soccer that are a big part of this roster rotation so far, they need to stay ready. If they're not in the playoffs, they need to figure out a way to stay ready so that they can be ready to play in January at 100%. So we'll obviously see what happens with with where these games are going to be played in January. That is supposed to be coming very, very soon. But for now, we have the United States in a great position so far. They're in second place. And let's hope that they figure out what they need to do to get even more points, have a great window in January, and hopefully, hopefully in January, we are talking about qualifying for the World Cup or at least being in the best position possible to get the one or two points we need to walk into Qatar as the kings of CONCACAF, like we say we are. So that will do it for episode 66 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Rates and reviews are really appreciated. They're awesome. They help a lot. So five stars if you like what you're hearing. For any questions or comments, drop me a line at ssfcpodcast at gmail.com. We will be back hopefully before the Thanksgiving break. We will try to get something in next week as the women are about to take the field in Australia. So until next time, take care.